episode number 87, Mark's Midnight Carnival Show, is in the springs.
right, guys. So I am sitting down with Mark's Midnight Carnival Show. I've got the uh, titular Mark Bush, uh, vocals, bass, and guitar. Mm -hmm. And then I've got uh, Mr. Scott Bine. Did That's I say correct. that right? Yep. All right, Scott on guitar. And then sitting quietly to the side is Gavin Staub. Straub. Straub. All right, note to self, we'll edit that out. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for hanging out, man. I know you guys are working tonight with uh, new politics here at the Black Sheep. Mm -hmm. Now, how often do you guys play here uh, at the Black Sheep? It's been uh, it's been over a year since we've played the Black Sheep. We we did it uh, I don't know, probably six, seven times in in the the five, six years that we've been playing together. Yeah. And I, it's one of the only places in town here, I guess, in the Springs area that has um, original music showcases like this or or brings in touring bands and it just seems that the lineup that they usually have is not uh, it's not geared to the music that we do i guess if that makes any sense they, Absolutely, they, yeah. it seems to me without getting into what they do too much that, that there's more of a a metal or a punk or or hip-hop you know right. it's kind of those two extremes and we tend to kind of float in between there but We've done, you know, everything from like opening for a, a Pink Floyd tribute band here to uh, uh, Black Joe Lewis and the Honey Bears. He's <laughs> awesome. I mean, he's a guy from uh, Austin who actually had some. Uh, he's had he's put out two albums at this point that have been just amazing. It's kind of a soul band. Yeah, yeah. And then we opened for the Monophonics, who were like a funk psychedelic band, and we're none of those things. <laughs> but you know, we, I, I think. Throughout the years, we developed a relationship with uh, some of the booking people here at the Black Sheep and helped them out at last minute. Hey, we need some money. You guys come out? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. We're up to play anytime, so why not? But now, you guys are based here in the Springs, yeah? Yes. Okay. Well, technically, uh, Gavin and I live in the Springs and Mark's in Pueblo, but we, we say we're from the Springs. Gotcha. Okay. So now, like, the, like you were saying, the Black Sheep, typically, I think, you know, to most Springs folks, it's kind of the metal hub you know they do a lot of the metal shows and that kind of thing but they do bring in hip-hop and some different things oh yeah Th their lineup is, is really varied it's yeah. it's it's not uh it's not for uh for lack of trying that we haven't been here it's it we've actually just gotten busy doing other things and being kind of doing i guess our own thing in other places we've been hitting new mexico quite a bit and it's just finding that that opportunity to make ourselves available for shows so right, it's right. it's less on them more on us that we haven't been here in over a year but uh, we're actually here more because the the RXP 103.9 FM radio station asked us to be a part of it. So, oh, nice! So and uh, and then the Black Sheep approved or okayed it. I guess yeah, I guess yeah. that's how that works. They asked them, "Hey, are you all right if these guys come and play?" Yeah, yeah, bring them on. So <laughs> now I would imagine, as musicians and as a band, you know, probably one of the more either frustrating or boring questions is, "How would you guys describe your music?" I had a chance to go online and listen to a lot of it. And it's fantastic, first of all. I mean, your guys' stuff sounds terrific Thank well, uh, to the point where my daughters are both coming tonight and uh -huh. my wife and her friend are going to come tonight That's as awesome. well. So I can't because I've got other uh, commitments. But at any rate, how would you guys describe this, the sound that you've developed? Um, probably the best I could do is describe my goal for how I would like us to sound, and hopefully it sounds like that. Uh, and I would say kind of... Um, really accessible pop rock music but we we try and add interesting musical elements to it that that keep us interested in what we do so hopefully that's how the listener experiences it as well nice yeah, we don't we certainly don't shy away from the fact that there's definitely a pop element to what we do 
that term has such a, a wide frame of reference for whoever you are. I can right. say pop and you might, you know, think of more like teeny bopper type music or, you know, bubblegum pop type music. It, it's more of that, that there's something in it that's familiar. There's something in it that that's based off of music we've all been exposed to. But then, you know, Scott says we, we want to add something that we want to hear or something that we like in there. So there's an element within the music that becomes more unique and more our own, whether that's the, the beat or mixture of the beat and the chord voicings that Scott's playing on guitar or, you know, the melody that I choose to sing. It's, it, the hope is that it's unique enough that you could say it's our own sound. Right, right. You know, but it's hard. The industry requires that you name what genre you are. Right, right. Everybody wants to know, what are you? Who are you? So we tend to lean on that rock or maybe indie rock or indie pop to some extent, but I like Scott's description. <laughs> Here's what I want it to sound like. I mean, sometimes we're like, well, what do you think we sound like? Well, <laughs> that's probably you ask the interviewer, to, right, what, right, what do they think? That's probably a better so. way to approach it. Yeah, I, mean, but, it, it it's, I think it's interesting. Well, to kind of go back in, in the history of uh, Mark's Midnight Carnival show, from what I understand, this was a, a Craigslist connection at, at at one point when the band first got started. So at what point did the three of you sit down and start playing and realize that, hey, the, this is this is going to work. We're creating something that all of us are enjoying and it's got a unique sound or whatever that is. What was that process like for you guys to kind of hammer that out? I think the, I think what happened was Mark and I might have, I think we met once before all three of us got together and worked on a few songs. And, and I remember thinking, yeah, I mean, this has some promise i think we worked on maybe two songs and then when we got all three of us together just the the first practice was was just a lot of fun and um i've, I've played with enough other people and you, you usually realize right away whether some there's a chemistry there or not at least in my experience and and that first practice i i really enjoyed it and um whether it sounded good or not was was irrelevant at that point it was it was just that that it was a blast and i wanted to keep doing it and it's it's more like can he play what he said he could play? You know, is, does he really have a drum set? I'm sure at some point we've all experienced that, at least the three of us in our life as, as musicians, you know, you meet someone, I play guitar. Well, everyone knows someone who plays guitar, right? right? I mean, it's, well, uncle plays guitar. And that's how I learned was from my uncle. But can he really play guitar? And then how far is he in his development? And, and do we relate musically that way? Because there's that chemistry that everyone always talks about when they have great chemistry and it takes time. You got to work at that and stuff. So yeah. I know in the beginning we all kind of, for me, it was, I was looking for musicians that were interested in what I was doing already. Cause I was tired of being in a band. Somebody somewhere down the road decides this is not what I want to do and they take off and then the band falls apart. Yeah. You know, is that one element was so important that you couldn't keep it going without it. So that was, how I positioned it originally was, hey, I'm looking for people that want to join what I'm doing. And then if we can roll that into what we're doing and we create it collectively, then that's even better. You know, because yeah. I, I may have written a lot of songs and brought that to the table originally, but throughout, you know, our history, we've become more of a, of a collective. So it may be Mark's Midnight Carnival show, but it's, we all have a, kind of an equal creative say in what's going on. So. Right, right. 
Well, I thought it was interesting on, um, I think it was on the, your Facebook page, your influences, and there's many, um, but it included like the Bee Gees, Kenny Rogers, and the Beastie Boys. Uh, the Bee Gees and Kenny Rogers, that's all Mark. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that or right with that or, or whatever, but sure. for, for each of you, what were your your personal musical influences growing up? What type of bands were you were you into? And then what type of bands were you in as well? Uh, growing up, it was kind of like a, a lot of kids. I, I grew up listening to what my parents listened to. Uh, they'd be Beatles, Led Zeppelin, uh, Hendrix, Pink Floyd, those records. Um, and, and then as I got into high school, I got into stuff like the Beastie Boys and, and Rage Against the Machine and Incubus and bands like that. Um, in terms of bands I was in later, they were probably more uh, more more rock, hard rock. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of how to describe them. I mean, it, uh, for for instance, one way to kind of describe the the evolution of the bands I've been in is just my guitar sound. Like the earlier bands were a lot of overdriven guitars, and and now I use more of a clean sound for uh, for more of a, a pop sound that we have in this group but yeah i i think this is uh this is definitely different from what i've done before and and i really really enjoy that about it yeah so if you could if 13 year old scott could look forward and see you now would he be surprised at, at the type of music you're into and what you're playing or did you were you always open to whatever's playing and sounds good i'm going to listen to it yeah i i, I think i've i've definitely opened my mind more with age but uh I, I, I don't think this is too far of a stretch, like from, from what I would have imagined. Not at all. Oh, very cool. Yeah, the Kenny Rogers and BT. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for me, it's, it's accepting the fact that everything around me kind of influences it, what I'm doing and where I'm at now. But, I, you know, I grew up and I can remember watching you know, Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers singing Islands in the Stream on stage, on TV, you know, the little, that circle stage where they kind of spin the circle the whole time, they're looking at the audience, and, and, and watching that with my family and, and having that experience, or, or watching the Bee Gees the same way on TV somewhere throughout history, and just throwing it in there as a, to, to try to help people understand that our influences come from a lot of different places. Uh, I don't think you could listen to any of our music and hear the Bee Gees in there, or hear Kenny Rogers or Dolly Parton, or, or anything from that. But it's still there. It's still something that influences the person I am today, or the voice that I use when I sing. Because it's all those elements are something that I've compiled into what I what I present, at least. And and the same goes for you know the music that Scott listened to when he grew up, and what Gavin listened to when he grew up. So I was all over the place. I had an older sister who was in love with Prince to this day. So I can't deny the fact that he has an influence. But you know, there's there's not. I, I don't think any Prince comes through in our albums at all. I mean. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe somewhere. No but. two and a half minute solos at the end of a song or something. <laughs> yeah. it, doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't really happen. I mean, it's, it, but it's there in, inside whatever I create. So I'm sure there's a melody somewhere that I've come up with that has a, some sort of influence from that. Yeah. The yeah. Beatles and Led Zeppelin, I, I think, you know, Scott and I definitely share a lot, of, a lot of that history together as far as the music we grew up with was the music our parents or, or those older adult figures around us listen to. So... I know that we have that in common, and there's few common bands that, that, that kind of dominate the music that we all listen to. Like, yeah. I know Scott and I share Wilco as a band that we both love a lot. Spoon is a band that uh, we'll cover on occasion, 
And so that band comes out a lot when we try to describe ourselves just because it's a, a band that we currently really like a lot. But uh, I don't think Gavin likes Spoon quite as much as like I like Spoon. So it's, but we find that commonality and we can use that as a language because there's times when we're, we're talking and I'm trying to, okay, I want this to kind of do this type of a sound and I may reference a song, you know, well, let's, let's, let's give this kind of a Jonathan Fisk twist because that's a Spoon song that we're all familiar with. So I, that music as a language becomes very important, I think, for all of us. Yeah. So now you guys were together just a couple of years when you put out your first album. Mm-hmm. And so what was that, that process like for you? And, and th- it's a question I ask a lot of the bands that I meet with. I'm always sort of fascinated by the process of recording a record which is what an old guy like me calls them, and performing live and how that translates and how conscious you are of when you record it, how that's going to, to, to translate to the stage. So what was that first experience like for you guys as a, as a group? What I think is really funny about the first album is we actually were only together about six months when we actually laid down the performance for that album. I mean, we, we got together 2009, September, and by that next spring, the end of that spring, it was like April or something, I got one of those Facebooks. Here's what you were doing six years ago, and it was a picture of Gavin in that studio for that session. Uh, we were laying down tracks then, and we did like our performance on that album is from that time period, so it's kind of neat to, within the first year, we'd laid down the tracks, but it took <laughs> the guy that was doing the recording for us, he, uh, he put a lot of effort into it, and he, gave, he brought a lot of skill and a lot of talent with him, and he was definitely worth the wait because the end product was really nice, but part of the agreement we had with him gave him that flexibility to take his time with it. And yeah. toward the end, I remember it was like, man, come on, when's this gonna, when are we gonna get this thing <laughs> You're recording finished? recording your second one before the <laughs> first one. Well, and that. we were ready for it. Yeah. And some of the, I mean, honestly, some of those songs we still play today, like tonight, we're gonna get up and play you know, two songs off that first album. Um, Daydreamer and the Moon Song, and the way that we perform them today, I wish we had that on that first album because we we've grown as musicians, we've evolved a little bit together as a group, and we have a much more polished sound today than we did back then. And but there's there's still something charming about you know when we listen to those records. That that particular album itself has been, I'd say, a better representation of who we are than than anything else we've recorded. So yeah, and I think to answer your question about how aware we we were of how the songs would come out live after recording them. I mean, part of it, at the time, we we were still um, incorporating just two guitars live. We hadn't brought the bass in, so we had kind of a unique instrumentation. So when we recorded the record and we added bass, we we knew at the time that a lot of those songs would not have bass in them live. So... Yeah, we, we were pretty aware that the songs would be different from the recorded versions of live, and I think we're okay with that. I, I always like that, too, um, just to get a different experience when you go see a band from what you've heard on the record. And I, my personal preference is I, I hear records where there's all sorts of instrumentation, and then I go and see a band recreate that live, and in a live setting, it's just too much sound, and it's all muddy, so I, I like when it's kind of pared down live and it's a, a little cleaner and you can hear everything a little bit better. So, um, yeah, I, I think we were, we were and still are okay with doing kind of different versions of songs for different settings. I would imagine for, for an artist, when you do create something and, and ultimately release that into the wild, 
that it would be a challenge to, to look at it as a finished product, knowing that, oh, I should have tried this. I Do you guys struggle with that, or are you comfortable saying, that's that's what we're doing, and let's move on to the next? The only, I mean, I think we're comfortable. The only struggle that I would see is that, you know, I wouldn't mind redoing it, you know, right, whereas, right. whereas Scott may be like, ah, you know, we've done it, let's move on, and I, I, it, it's finding a way to, like, but we can do that better. And so it, it's when do you say no? Yeah. And when do you take that album as, a, as an independent art piece of its own? And then what we're doing at a show at any given time is another independent art piece of their own. They just share a, a common theme. You know, it, it may be the same song that we're using, but the solo section's different. Yeah. I, I sing it a little different, or, you know, this thing happens or that thing happens. So, um, and do you have an opportunity to recreate it live? Like you said, some of the songs may kind of transform a little bit over the years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's even, like, there's a song on that first album called A Place of My Own that Scott changed what he played on it completely. And I remember the first time he did it, it threw me off. I was like, what, what did he do? You know, and it was just something that he had heard. He thought, man, I need to do this. And, and he did it, and he brought it to the table, and that's how it is now live. Yeah. And whereas you can tell it's the same song there's an element live that wasn't there on the album that is better in my opinion and it works better that way and the other issue that i think we ran into with with both of the albums is we don't have the the luxury of time because we're paying for that time in the studio we can't get in there and and fully form the song that you know maybe a bigger act would would do you know we're you know we're spending so many dollars per day and it's like man we got so many days that we can budget this amount of money to make this work and whereas another band may have like two months in the studio or you know i've heard of bands taking years to complete an album and right. they need to record it five different ways before you finally hear the finished product and then they got to go and spend six months rehearsing the album whereas we, we kind of do the opposite we're out playing the songs live right, for right. A, a year before we ever put them on a record so well i would imagine there would be a, a potential downside to that too if you did have it's sort of like the the cliche in movies, these big budget movies, that doesn't make it a good movie. <laughs> no, and so I could see where that would be a challenge recording too, if you had an unlimited budget or, you know, extended amount of time where you'd really get into the weeds with it and yeah, know, kind I mean, of suck the life out of it. Where, a bit. where do you say no to, where do you end it? I mean, right. then, then it's the, you know, it's the Brian Wilson or that parody from walk the line where he's, I want 50,000 didgeridoos, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> can we get a live horse in here? Can that work in the studio? No, I mean, it's, Unlimited money <laughs> sometimes yeah. doesn't necessarily work. The luxury, though, to go and like write something new in a studio in that setting, if if it's there and if it can happen, becomes really neat. And yeah. The, the second album, when, when we did that album, the the last day that we were there, it was just Scott and I. Gavin had already laid down his drums, and we had a little bit more time, so we got to experiment with adding in some keyboards and doing some different things with you know, with uh, guitar and with some backing vocals. And they're not very dominant on the album, but they're there. So there's some like electric piano that we, you know, because we had that experimentation moment in the studio and could play around with it, we got a taste of it. I don't know about Scott, but for me, I'd love to do that more. I'd love to, here's what we came in to do, but now we got a few extra days to add, to see what we can create now here in the studio. And, and actually the last song on on the, the album Teach Me a New Handshake. It's called Bailey Shakes with Vicodin. Gavin doesn't play anything on that song because we didn't originally plan on doing it. We had extra time. Hey, let's do this song and do kind of a shortened version of it because the song at the end, when we play it live, the drums kick in and things become more of a, of a, a live band atmosphere. And why don't we just record half of that song and let it kind of bleed out and 
just as a moment or as a, an art piece of its own. Yeah. See where that goes. And then we have people who hear us play it live and they're like, well, I like it better with the drums. We do too. <laughs> right. He just wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. We had time. So, and that's, that's a product of that. <laughs> Having that time gave us that, the ability to put that song on there. So. And, and how has the, the writing process changed for you guys since you've been together for, what, seven years now? Yeah. Well, when we started, um, a lot of it was uh, Gavin and I kind of learning Mark's songs and putting our own spin on it. And, um, and then I, I started to add a couple of songs where I would bring all the music and, and Mark and Gavin would, would add their parts. Uh, but I, I think the most interesting results we get are, are when we all three kind of collaborate on a song and um but the the thing about that is it that can be like pulling teeth to 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 get something we all like but when we finally do i think those are ultimately our best songs um so yeah i, I feel like we we still write songs in a variety of ways but um yeah ho hopefully hopefully we can get the patience to do some more collaborative writing so there's, there's, you know, we have songs that have come out of a, a riff or a jam that we've played around with for a while that's developed into, hey, you know, that would make a good verse. We have songs that I've brought, here's the structure that I think it should have, and here's my melody, here's my lyrics. I've kind of, it's, I could perform it alone by myself with just a guitar and a vocal, and I'll do that for them, and then we get involved with letting them add their pieces to it, and then a verse gets taken out, a chorus goes away, or this gets flopped and that gets flopped. Oh, okay, let's not play that 10 times, let's play it two, because 10 is too many, or, and things like that. So they start to add their piece to it. And then there's other things that it's just, like you said, collaboratively, just magically, it kind of comes together, so. Now, where are you guys at in the process of album number three? Is that on the horizon? Is that in the works, or? We, we're, we're talking about it right now. We're, we're hoping to, to be able to record something this summer, and. And I think we have, uh, we're all happy with the, the songs we have, and maybe we can add, add some new stuff. But yeah, hopefully really soon. Are you looking at a full length, do you think, or is it too early to tell? Or We're, we're still trying to figure out exactly what we can do. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a studio we think we know we want to record at, and we're still just trying to figure out what's best for that studio and the time we have and the songs we have. Um, we, we had thrown around the idea of maybe doing an acoustic record, um, maybe with some new songs, some acoustic renditions of old songs, or just another full-on rock record with all new songs. So we're, we're still trying to, to, to piece that together. Nice. Now, the, the recording and, and writing process, does that scratch that creative itch the way a live show does, or is it a completely, and this is a, from a complete novice i don't know anything about that but what does that do for you from a creative standpoint and, and how, how do those two things differ uh for, for me the the writing part is uh necessary to play the shows <laughs> um I, yeah I, i'm glad when it's done yeah, I, yeah. I i really enjoy playing live and um that's the workout before the game exactly kind of yeah, yeah. What, what do you think mark I, it's they, to me, playing shows makes me want to write more. Yeah. You know, so it's that circle there. It's that, you know, chicken or the egg type thing. So Scott may prefer. I don't know. I guess what by what you're saying, you prefer playing live more than you like writing. Whereas yeah. I, I'm kind of the same way, but the live makes me want to go and write, so I can play more live. Right, I guess. Right. It's. I, I think back to Scott does this a lot too, and I know Gavin does it. We we try to think of 
what our experiences are as an audience member. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's not about writing a song and playing it on stage, saying, hey, look what I can do. It's more about trying to create this experience that everyone can share in. And it's better when everyone shares in it. I mean, go see a band with seven people in the audience. It's a very stale performance. Few bands can rise above that moment and just rock your socks off. And, and the good ones do, and that's great. And there's always something there for any band you know, that, that's, that's of any value. If they can perform really well in front of seven people, then they're, they've got something and don't let go of that. But then see them with 700 people or 70 right. people or 100 people, depending on the size of the room. Like the Black Sheep, we've played here for seven people before <laughs> at, a, at a, like a local only show. It's like five local bands and we get on stage and there's like seven people out in the audience. And then we've also played here with like 100 people and those shows are different. Right. So when we're writing and we're trying to arrange a song and put it together, we're thinking, how can I put this in that live environment and what's it going to be like for that person? So when you go into the studio and you record that, there's an attempt there to try to capture some of that magic, you know, that, that, that moment that you did on stage and that energy and to make sure your performance in the studio has some of those elements to it, that energy and passion. We've got some Michael Jackson in there. <laughs> our background music yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I did get online and I saw a recent review of a show you guys did down in uh, Santa Fe mm-hmm. um, I don't know the venue but the review was was fantastic I mean it was a really positive review is that something that you this sounds like kind of a jaded question but do you care about that or do you follow that or is that is that helpful important w- where would you put that in your musical lives seeing that other people are that one was genuine so if they're genuine we care about them. Yeah. There's been reviews where all they've done is taken our bio, cut and pasted it, and, and, and basically just repeated whatever's on our Facebook page or right. our website or in some one sheet that we sent them. So uh, at that particular show, the, the guy, Mark Nelson is his name. It's a Santa Fe Music Review or Santa Fe Review Music.com or .org or something like that. Um, he approached us before the show, gave us his card. I'm going to listen. I checked you guys out online. Are you going to play this song or that song? He'd done some homework, which nice. is it's always nice when they show up knowing a little bit about you. And then um, uh, he's you know asked you know could we play more uh, of of the stuff from the album right off the bat because he was limited on time and you know he, he kind of was very uh, genuine and approachable and, and it made me interested in what his thoughts were and then he took some video of it and he posted it and wrote a nice review which was great and had some very kind words to say for us to us directly after the performance so that type of inter- interview or review whatever you want to call it I, I worry about or not worry I want to know what, what, right. what he had to say I'm curious on his thoughts yeah because he made himself interesting enough to me but just someone who didn't approach us someone who didn't ask us any questions who just went and grabbed information off of our website and threw that up i'm less interested in what they have they're not saying anything they're, right, they're right. just repeating whatever whoever wrote our bio said so yeah uh which you know doesn't doesn't give me any new information yeah. and then it when they get it like when you can tell they got it completely wrong <laughs> i mean we had we were compared to los lobos one time right or los lonely boys there was a song that we did and they said it had kind of a latin feel to it and didn't at all but that was his perception and I mean, if that was genuine then that's great but yeah, I, it, yeah. to the rest of the review I didn't really get a the feeling like he really 
I don't know. I guess I'd have to read more of those guys' reviews and that one particular person and see if he was uh, if if he mis misreviewed other people. I guess yeah. is the best way to put it. I'm not sure. Well, so. it looks like you know, looking at your website, you guys have a pretty packed schedule. Um, I think probably through the summers, as as far as the the website was going, are you getting out on the road more? And is that stuff that is kind of a segue into to bigger things, or is there kind of a method to the madness as far as when and where you're playing and that sort of thing, or is it just, hey, we just want to get out there and get heard and let the chips fall where they may? You want it? Yeah, I can do it. It's fine. Yeah, take it more. <laughs> I, I do all the booking anyway, so it's, I guess it's more whatever I do, and then they, they follow we're, along. We're going where? <laughs> we're going where? <laughs> yeah, I, I never... Uh, I, I never know where we're going until like two days before like we'll we'll play a gig one weekend and someone will ask where we are next weekend and then i'll have no clue so <laughs> he, he's the better one to talk and, about and this we try to keep the website updated as much as we can but, yeah, yeah. You know, life gets in the way i you know our kind of our our madness so much right now is we want to play as much as we can we we try to make somewhat of a living off of what we're doing. We do two types of shows, ultimately. We do what we're doing tonight, all original music, all the music that we're very passionate about. Uh, and then we do bar gigs, where we're playing three, four hours. We're throwing out our original stuff and trying to represent ourselves that way. But then we're also playing songs that people know. Yeah. And we try to, as best we can, kind of skirt that line between original band and cover band. We don't want to be a cover band, but we have to pay the bills. And unfortunately, you know, when you go see your, your local indie band play 45 minutes on a Tuesday night at eight o'clock, they're, they're not making any money at that show. They're losing money because of all the money they spent to get there, right. to, to buy the instruments that they have, the practice time they put into it and all that stuff. So, um, but when we go out and we play Friday night at a local bar for three or four hours, the bar is paying us to entertain the crowd crowd doesn't always know who we are so we got to play things they know yeah. as well so what we do i think very well is we take songs that people are familiar with we remake them we make them our own we put our little twist on it and then we match them up with songs of our own so that in that evening and that that concept or that that context it all makes sense and people seem to enjoy those types of shows so we get paid to play those shows we're able to make a bit of a living on it not a major one yet but the whole idea that every show we play is just to try to get more exposure, right. try to meet more people, get more people to hear our music, to create opportunities like this. Where you know tonight we get to play with a you know international touring act at, at, at what is they're saying is possibly a sold out show by the time the show starts. So uh, we get to play to what could be a packed house, right? Right. You know, whereas you know we may not have that opportunity every single weekend, and, and it would be nice if you know somewhere down the path that we're no longer the opening band for those types of shows. Yeah. We're coming to play the Black Sheep and we're headlining and the place is sold out or almost sold out. Yeah. So, and you grow and, and every year we get, we seem to get bigger and better opportunities. Last year we played the uh, Albuquerque International Balloon Festival. There was 30,000 people out in front of us. Yeah. They're not there for us. They didn't buy a ticket because they saw us on the bill, but they got to see your name. Right. They got to hear us. They, you know, we're in some press. And everyone's aware of what happened. And we've had some people, you know, send us a message online saying they saw us there, thought we were great. So maybe we gained a fan or two from that experience. But nothing else. We played in front of 30,000 people. Exactly, that's, that's yeah. Awesome. So 
I, I, don't, I think that answers yeah, your absolutely. question. Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, the, I, a lot of the places that we're playing, if you look on our schedule, we'll repeat those places like every six weeks or eight weeks because we've built a, a rapport with that place or a following. So yeah. the, the place in New Mexico, it's Cowgirl Barbecue. We go back there every month to six weeks and we got a little following that's coming out to see us every time we play. Right. And that's one of the places we really like playing because they like our music and they're there to listen to what we are playing. And it's not we don't feel as much as a like a backup to their night we're not just background music to right right to whatever they're experiencing so oh that's but, very cool and, and it just there's other places where you know we're hoping that that could be there but we know when we show up this is going to be one of those nights to where half the audience doesn't care about who we are they're not there to see us they're there to have a good time yeah and if we can steal some of their attention for a little while because we've we've played very well or we've played a song they like or whatever then great and if not as long as we didn't chase them away yeah well i think that's a good perspective to have going (laughs) into shows like that where you're not creating this illusion that everybody's going to be just you know staring at you raptly for you know 45 minutes or whatever but like you said as long as you're there and you're making an impact that that's going to pay dividends you know one fan at a time when you start meeting new people that are you know that are into your music so And, and it's it's become an okay way for us to to expose our music to new audiences and we meet people at these shows and hey who are you where are you from and they want to know more about it you can't be local is one of the things we always hear yeah we're we're from right down the street sometimes or whatever the situation is but you know you meet some people there and the hope is is they follow you when you go to another venue that they don't just show up at that bar right right that particular venue so it's it's one of those that you know our philosophy is if we just keep going keep playing keep doing it keep getting better as, as far as the performance that we're providing for people and and try not to get stale or tired, then hopefully that'll pay off in the end. Nice. And I, I think the other bit of it is we, we keep doing what we do clearly because we enjoy it on some level. Oh, I mean, yeah. we're, um, you know, we're, we're all at least 30 years old and we don't need to be doing this, you know, it's not providing our entire livelihood. So that that's... That's why we still somewhat enjoy getting in the van and driving for 10 hours and playing a gig. Yeah. So. Well, you know, that's actually a good segue. I'm going to cut you guys loose. I know you've got a show here tonight. Uh, you can hear Michael Jackson doing a sound check upstairs. <laughs> uh, so, so Mark and Scott, what, what does it take kind of generically, in your opinion, to, to keep a band together? I'm always sort of fascinated by the dynamic of three, four, five people that are a team and they have to show up and rehearse and they have to show up and perform. They have to jump in a van for 10 hours. So what is the special sauce that keeps a band going? Diplomacy. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I mean, we've, uh, we've been doing this for seven years now and, and, um, you know, we've, we've, you know, not that we don't have our disagreements and arguments. We obviously do, but I, I guess our personalities mix well and, and we're able to um, n- negotiate those minefields and, and and still be good friends and still enjoy playing music. I imagine getting Gavin to stop talking must be the, yeah. the yeah. hardest part. <laughs> <laughs> so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Not the smile, in it, fact, it, it, was It's a chemistry. I mean, you talk to any band that's been together for, you know, any, you know, questionable or any notable length of time, and it's always... There's something about playing with each other that they love. There's something about the music they create that they love. And uh, it helps that I love to talk and 
Gavin doesn't. So <laughs> it, it, that works out really well. And there's some the moments where that works. And these guys have never said, I want to book all our shows or I want to build the website. Or, I want to draw the design that becomes the album cover, or the T-shirt or the poster, you know. And so because I like doing those things, I get to do those things. Yeah, and, we, we all have, I guess, defined roles yeah, that we're happy with. And it, and it works out really good. You know, usually Scott is is the one that will kind of, kind of gear an arrangement of a song in a particular direction or try to help us when we're trying to put together a set list. You know, what do we want to play? He's really good about putting himself in that audience mindset and think about, here's the show I would like to see. And, and he likes taking charge of that. I like driving. I don't drink, so I can drive after shows and things that frees up the, the bar tab for these two gentlemen to take advantage of as much as they want. So, I, And it, it just works. I, and that, to me, is it's a special combination of his personality, his personality, my personality, and how they fit together. And nice. These two actually lived together for about six years. So for you know, they their personalities worked well for that situation because they, they didn't get on each other's nerves enough to hate being around each other right, quite right. that much. And nice. I live I live, you know, forty five minutes to an hour away. So maybe that's just the right amount of buffer that they don't have to see me right, right. <laughs> that much during the week. So. Yeah. All right. Well, Mark's Midnight Carnival show. Uh, you guys are playing the Black Sheep tonight. My tens of listeners, I definitely encourage them to go out and, uh, and check you guys out. I know you play a lot here in the Springs as well, so look for local dates. So Mark Scott and Silent Gavin, thank you so much for your time and uh, have a great set tonight. Thank you. Thanks, man. So there you have it out of Southern Colorado, Mark's Midnight Carnival Show. My sincere thanks to Mark Bush and Scott Bine for being on the show. And apologies to drummer Gavin Straub for not being able to get him on mic. Hopefully I can connect with him next time around. Best of luck to those guys, and I'll look forward to hearing their new album later this year. Be sure to check out their 2011 self-titled debut and their 2013 EP entitled Teach Me a New Handshake, both available on iTunes. The song you heard at the top of the episode is off their self-titled debut, a track called Daydreamer. Thank you to Jeremy and the folks at The Black Sheep for their continued support. And as always, thank you for listening to In the Springs. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a second to post a positive review on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcast media. Until next time, I'm Ryan Lowry, and we'll see you again right here in the Springs. In the Springs.